Hi there, it's Ed here with a short message before we start the pod this week. Did you know that our most informed investors get insights, articles and investment ideas from Tom, me and the team sent directly to them via email and it is completely free. You can join them. Just subscribe at fidelity.co.uk slash newsletters. Hello and welcome to the Personal Investor Podcast. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, it is our last pod of 2023 and we have a fantastic guest to round off the year. Claire Barrett is not only the trusted consumer editor of the Financial Times, she's also a weekly guest of Daytime Telly Queen, Lorraine Kelly on ITV, a regular contributor to the BBC and much else besides. In other words, Claire is one of the most trusted voices on money issues today and we're delighted to welcome her to the pod. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. When your audience includes both the readers of the Financial Times and the millions of viewers tuning in to Lorraine Kelly on daytime ITV, you know you are speaking to a broad church. That's certainly true of Claire Barrett, who, in addition to those gigs, is a regular contributor to money programmes on the BBC, on LBC, the host of her own money clinic podcast for the FT and much else besides. She is, in other words, one of the most trusted voices on money issues in the UK today. And I'm delighted to say that she joins us on the pod this week. Claire, welcome along. Oh, thank you very much for the <laughs> lovely introduction. Ed. You're very welcome. Um, now, I was thinking ahead of us recording today about the various things that we could talk about. You cover so many areas in the work that you do, but I thought we'd start with why you think there is such a broad audience for what you do. Why are so many of us in search of help when it comes to our money? Well, I think we've all been squeezed in the last year as inflation has risen and as interest rates have shot up. But the sad fact is some of us have seen our finances be absolutely crushed. So we have been forced, whether we like it or not, to engage with our money in ways that we haven't had to before, to rethink our budgets, mm -hmm. to think a lot more about forward planning, which has always been the cornerstone of good financial practice. But now it's not an option, it's a necessity. And coming after a pandemic when we have had this fear of maybe losing our jobs, been on furlough, questioned our employment, moving beyond that now, obviously new options, new flexibilities, hybrid roles, careers that are maybe a bit more compatible with caring for a family. Mm -hmm. There's lots and lots of change, but that change has happened really, really quickly. And I think people have just had their heads spun a bit by it. And whenever I get stopped by people on the street who want to ask me a money question, there's always an urgency of like, you know, just tell me the answer. Just tell me the answer. Yeah. There's lots of stuff you can find out for yourself online on the Internet, but it's the wading through and people really want knowledge, information, finding the right bits, but also, I think more than anything, reassurance that they're doing yeah. the right thing. And there's a version of that for various different people, isn't there? Up and down the income scale, there's different challenges depending on your circumstances, your levels of wealth, etc. Um, people need a lot of information, even if they are sort of whatever the financial circumstances, basically. Yeah, and I mean, in, especially within relationships. I mean, often you'll have one person who is the financial lead. That's mm -hmm. a, a term I hear financial advisors use a lot. And they'll be the person who kind of takes everything on board, leads the way, you know, with the decisions yeah. that the, the couple might make. And 
quite early on this year, I did an event and a guy came up to me at the end and he said, you know, I am that person in in my family life who makes all the decisions. But he said, now I don't know what to do. Yeah. And I'm really worried that it was a mortgage that was coming up for renewal. He was saying, I'm really worried that if I stuff this up, if I go the wrong way, this is going to really affect my wife, my children, our finances for years to come. And I'm going to get the blame for it. Yeah. So very, very different dynamics um, going on all, all over the place and lots of worry. Indeed, indeed. Well, um, I mean, something I've learned in the work that we do here is that just because a person has some knowledge or familiarity with financial matters, it doesn't necessarily mean that the way they run their money and the behaviours that they have around money mm-hmm. are always perfect. <laughs> I always think about the, you know, the unhealthy doctor or the dentist with bad teeth or whatever. You know, you don't always take your own advice. Um, and, and money is more personal than that, I would say. Um, and it can be as important to understand your own sort of behaviours and your own personality around money as it is actually understanding the rules and the regs around different financial products or what have you. Yeah, and I, I think the biggest problem for a lot of professionals is time. Finding yeah. the time to fit it in, because we're all so busy earning money, we don't have a lot of time aside to actually think about, well, where is it going? And, mm-hmm. you know... Should I be investing? Should I be paying more into my pension? Should I be overpaying my mortgage? There's lots of kind of decisions that we can research. And then maybe there's another person involved as well, whether that's a partner or flatmates, and it sort of all gets a bit too too difficult. But also, especially for people who work in the financial world, there's an assumption that somehow we know all of this stuff and that we should know all of this stuff. And that extends to other people too. And you might have somebody who... You can ask. You might have family members. You might have friends. Um, you might have colleagues. I'm sort of exceptionally lucky uh, at the Financial Times to have lots of people who I can yeah. draw on, you know, who are like the world's experts um, in certain topics. But what holds us back from asking maybe is that we don't want to look stupid. We don't want sure. to make ourselves vulnerable by saying this is something that I that I don't know enough about um, and, and I, I'm seeking advice. But then that word advice i mean it's so hard for people who are younger and haven't accumulated wealth to find a financial advisor now that's something i've been writing about in the financial times this month mm-hmm. um because there are some big changes to the rules that are coming in maybe as early as 2025 to make it much easier for people who are of slenderer means but have big ambitions when yeah. it comes to um sorting out their money in future to actually get um a a limited form of professional financial advice because at the moment there are lots of people looking on the internet for this stuff there's lots of people looking on social media but it's a bit of a double-edged sword i mean one of the reasons that i'm on instagram i'm at at clebby if you want to follow me on everything (laughs) i'm on tiktok as well is because i think that we need more voices of people who actually know something about money rather than people who are just giving their opinions i'm not saying it's a bad thing yeah but often it's that that difference between somebody who might covertly be selling you something or selling you a dream selling you a lifestyle yeah. i mean what's crypto a line of code with a dream attached yeah <laughs> or somebody who's actually saying this is something that you should go away and think about for yourself do your own research oh, well it's often the case isn't it with um that kind of advice and guidance that the people you want to hear it from, we should hear it from, are wary of giving it for various reasons. Mm. They know the traps that are out there for them if they do. But um, the problem is there's a whole 
army of other people with sort of less good intentions as you say perhaps they're selling you something perhaps it's uh, you know uh, trying to lead you down a path and it's very difficult to decipher who's who in social media and on the internet right yeah i mean i've been cloned three times this year my instagram account like every single photo every single video i don't know how they do it and then they'll come up with a profile name that's got like an underscore one yeah or something at the end um then they'll start messaging all of my followers saying, would you like to earn some extra cash? And because I'm a money person, that's kind of a legitimate thing yeah. that I might send. Um, and people reply yes, and then it very quickly gets drawn into do they want to get involved either in crypto or in some kind of trading program. So, I mean, I put big adverts up everywhere saying I'd never ask you to, yeah, to do this. Like a bank. <laughs> yeah, but then look at AI. I mean, Martin Lewis has been deep faked yeah. this year. Um, a video recording of Martin Lewis appearing to say similar things. And it's really frightening. It's quite realistic. Yes, of course it is, yeah. How on earth, with our current record on fighting fraud, we're going to deal with the new threats from AI? Goodness only knows. Indeed. indeed. Well, um, one of the things I wanted to move on to today, Claire, was was some of the things you talk about in uh, a book that you've written called What They Don't Teach You About Money. And in that book, you introduce some um, common archetypes for how people behave when it comes to their money. Now, I'm not going to list them all, but we have, uh, in no particular order, we have spendy wendies, we have jitterbugs, we have goblins, we have ostriches, which I'm afraid to say that I relate quite hard to. Um, You bury your head in the financial sand. Indeed, indeed. Um, Which of those categories, well, first of all, perhaps we have a overview of them uh, of some of those categories but i was wondering which categories you personally would put yourself in and how valuable can it be to realize the sort of personality that you have when it comes to money okay so the great news is that you can now find out what you are for free because the ft has actually put it on their website ft.com slash money quiz you don't need to be a subscriber answer eight questions that i've devised and my sorting hat of financial personality types will pronounce which one you are so i mean i think the spreadsheet steve is probably one of the ones that readers talk to me about the most so i mean this is somebody do they control their money or does their money control them the obsessive the obsessive budgeter now i met somebody at a book signing event um in yorkshire earlier this year and he came up and very proudly said Will you sign my book, please? I'm a spreadsheet, Steve. (laughs) And I said, oh, okay, um, that's great. And he said, I budget for everything. I drive my wife mad with all of my tables and spreadsheets and, you know, charts and year-on-year comparisons of how much money she's wasting. And she really wants to go on a holiday. But I said, no. And I said, you know what? Maybe you could save yourself a lot of money in a divorce if you said (laughs) yes. Because it's all about balance and Similarly with the spendy Wendy, I couldn't think of a man's name that rhymed with Endy. Um, So it's definitely not an exclusively female trait. But the imbalance there is that there's too much spending. But my point is what's driving that? What emotional, deep-seated issue is the thing that's driving you to seek retail therapy? Because, of course, the consequences of that are that you're denuding your future in other ways, maybe mm-hmm. you're foregoing pension payments or you could be investing or you're just simply racking up unmanageable debt with you know huge amounts of interest. So, I mean, there are some of the ways that 
our emotional relationship with money can affect our day-to-day financial lives in ways that we perhaps don't understand. So that's Mm -hmm. what the exercise is designed to do. And when I tell you what you are, it will have some personality traits, but also some tips of ways that you could change those habits because, you know, it is possible to change. Um, Being aware of what you're doing, of course, is is the first path. But as for what I am, I am the goblin, the cash hoarder. Um, I have always been good at saving money growing up um, in an environment where money was fairly scarce when I was very young. And that works well for me in terms of saving and putting money aside. But where it doesn't work so well for me is taking risk. Yes. Because I find it very difficult to take a risk with, with money. Some other mistakes I made about money because I think it's really important as an expert that you say yeah I yeah. stuff up I still stuff up now um but we you know we have we have feet of clay nobody's perfect yeah. it's a continual battle to stay on top of your finances but one mistake I made when I was younger is that I kind of thought well if you're going to invest money in the stock market you kind of need a lot of money to get going you kind of have that vision of people mm-hmm. working in the city men mostly Mm -hmm. you know excess um wealth greed um perhaps overtones of that so i saved up a few thousand pounds into a cash isa thought about transferring it to a stocks and shares isa because i'd heard of them and i understood the tax saving benefits being the goblin (laughs) um but I was just thinking, well, every time I switch on the radio news, it says the FTSE 100 has gone up today. The FTSE 100 has gone up today. And you think, well, should I wait it? Should I wait for it to come down um, before I put my money in? You know, the dangers of trying to time the market. But I do think that that's something that a lot of investors struggle with, especially now when you look at the fact that US markets on the day that we're sitting down and talking to each other are cresting like a forever high. Yeah, and yeah. you think, well, why would I, why would I want to get started? So my advice to other goblins and indeed anybody else listening who is thinking the same thing is pound cost averaging for me was the revelation. Not putting a lump sum in, you can set up a regular investment plan on any platform, including Fidelity's, of course. Others exist, but yes. £25 a month. And if I'd known then £25 a month, I mean £25 a month, I mean back then it could have bought me a round. (laughs) Today it would probably buy me like one gin and tonic and a packet of pork scratchings but it's something that you could make room for in your budget potentially even if you're doing something quite small it's a start and it's something that you can build on as you start to earn more start to get a bit better at budgeting maybe the direct debit every month can go up yeah and i think that women especially need to get into this younger because as soon as you get to the childbearing years goodness knows what could happen to your finances your earnings potential how much money you'll be spending as a couple on childcare. yeah so the earlier that you get started even more imperative i mean that's fascinating and, and, and just on the on the points about um these archetypes i mean what you say is important to heed there you can change you can you can be or you can have a natural inclination to one of these things but when you um have a little bit of knowledge or context around it you can you can allow for that behavior to get to a, a better outcome. I mean, I, I, I said I um, related to the ostrich. Yeah, so why were you an well, ostrich? Well, that, that goes back, I, and, and the first time I sort of had any control of money in my life would be, was like lots of people as a student, yeah. suddenly have access to money that you never um, sort of had before. Yeah, and big lumps. Big lumps, you know, Student big numbers. Loans, that, yeah, all that credit. Big temptations. Back in that, you know, this is long, long enough ago that it was... Um, 
overdrafts and credit, lots of cheap credit was flying around. Um, pre-internet banking, so all all of my money was via cash machines. But because I was constantly running up against overdraft limits all the time, I just became very wary of even checking my balance. It would just be, I'd go to the machine and it would be sort of, sort of hit and hope and you'd pray that something would come out often it didn't that would cue a sort of big sort of meltdown and tearful phone calls to home and all this sort of stuff um and then i think probably moving into work and understanding that i had to sort that problem out well it was sort of mm. forced upon me you know you just have these debts you have to do something about them but going through that experience you learn that it's not necessarily sensible to bury your head in sand and and that if you you know, you might not want to know that you're in lots of debt or you haven't got much money left, but it's good to know that because then you can alter your behaviour and and change, you know. And it is a gulp, top step at the dentist yeah. moment when you do think, okay, I'm going to actively check my accounts. Yeah. I'm going to see how much is in my pension. Yeah. That's another big one um, when people get a bit more into thinking about money, especially as you start to get older. These things become yeah. more of a pressing concern but what i would say to anyone listening and thinking yeah i'm feeling the fear is that i have also learned like you over the years that actually the feeling of knowing i'm getting on top of this and i'm doing something about it that sort of quiet calm that you get when you've looked at your accounts and you've thought okay my direct debit to my savings accounts mm. has gone out and i've paid 100 pounds off my percent credit card to get that down you know i'm moving in the right direction that feeling is so much better than the gnawing doubt of i don't really know what the full picture is and i'm too scared to have a look it's the difference between being powerless and, and mm. empowered right you mm. can you, you might not be able to sort all your problems out overnight but if you're doing you know if you're moving in the right direction you should feel a lot better about this stuff don't you and, and that might be true if if you're in debt and you need to clear debt but it might also be true if you felt like you've been under saving and you need to save more. Mm. As you say, you can do it from low amounts and ratchet that higher. And it's quite surprising what a difference that can make and how quickly mm. you can get to a much better place with all this stuff. Also, one person who I did interview in my book who was neurodivergent, actually had ADHD diagnosed as an adult, they found it really difficult to check their bank balance. They were an ostrich. And what she did was habit bundling. So every time she took out the bin... She went online and checked her bank balance, which sounds crazy. <laughs> but for her, it really worked because it was like, well, I've got to take out the bin. And so whenever I do that, I've got to check my bank balance and the two have to go hand in hand. And I mean, I had visions of her sitting at home with like an overflowing bin because she'd be thinking <laughs> like, I really don't want to do that. But for her, that sort of broke the the spell yeah. you know I've got to look at it I've got to look at it and that is the first thing anyone in January thinking how on earth have I spent all of my salary already and I'm in minus numbers when it's like the first few days of the month yeah. you've just got to be brave and look back at the bigger picture and say well where has that money gone and how can I learn the the, the lessons that the, the data is telling me and also be kind to myself you know forgive yeah. myself for for doing this it's something that's happened there's no point beating yourself up like you said you've got to just learn from the lesson and move on yeah indeed i mean i was um i was thinking ahead of the conversation today about who we might have in mind for for, for this conversation we're obviously an investing podcast primarily and the person i think that might would really benefit from this is someone potentially in the position to invest you touched upon this a little bit with your um phrase into investing as well but um 
if investment is off-putting to someone, if they see it as a bit impenetrable, full of jargon, what have you, what's the first thing that you tell people, those people, about about understanding investing and overcoming some of those obstacles to doing it? Well, to be truthful, the first thing I say to people is sort out your debt, short-term mm-hmm. debt, credit card debt, student debt and mortgage debt, that's different. Sort out your debt and sort out your emergency fund. Now, I'm not one of those people who says you need six months of expenses saved in an interest-bearing account. You don't need to have six months. Frankly, a couple of weeks, you know, one month is much better than the average person in Britain can do. But you do need something. And the reason that that is so important is because the worst thing that you can do as an investor is to be forced to sell when you don't want to, when the markets are down. If you need that money back, it could potentially be crystallising a loss for you. What I see as investing is money that you're looking to spend in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years time. That's how I think about it. That helps me in two ways. Number one, it's kind of going out of my budget. This is spare money. I've learned to live within my means this excess, whether it's £100 a month, 500 a 1000 whatever, that can be invested and it can be untouched. And in the pandemic, when we saw stock markets around the world collapse very quickly, you know, I've got money in a pension, I've got money in a stocks and shares ISA that I've been building up over the years, so it's quite a tidy sum. Um, my strategy with my ISA is that I'm not going to spend any of that money until I'm in my 60s. For me, that's my bridge fund between when I might retire or want to slow down and work a bit less. And by the time my pension and my state pension, if it still exists, then will actually kick in. So I'm looking at everything going sideways, stuck in my um, cupboard where I work from my work from home office in March 2020. And I'm thinking, should I sell? Should I sell? And I know I've written so many articles about this. But when you're actually faced with those numbers going down it is very very hard but all I could do was look at the compound interest um, projection chart that I've made of what hopefully my investments will look like you can do this online go to a, a compound interest calculator if I'm adding so much every month if I'm getting an assumed growth of even quite modest growth compared to some projections five six percent a year this is what it's going to look like when I'm 60 or 70. And I just have to keep saying to myself like a mantra, I'm not going to spend this money until I'm 60. I'm not going to spend this money until I'm 60. And then, of course, as we know, markets came good in the end. Yeah. But it did take a while. And a lot of people, a lot of people who'd retired and were doing drawdown in their pensions, you know, they, they pulled the plug. You yeah. know, But if you really genuinely know that you don't need that money to live on, you've got something in your emergency fund, you've got your cash needs covered, then it's much easier to look at the charts yeah, and, absolutely. and back away. Absolutely. I, I mean, there's so much truth in that. And and again, it's this point that when you do have a little bit of context and understanding of, say, what markets do, what they historically do, it's in their nature to go up and down, but you know the historic returns that have been achieved it makes those short-term ups and downs much easier to take because the truth is no one likes to see their money fall in value. And it can be quite a shock, can't it, when people mm. do invest for the first time. They're really, you can theoretically say you're going to be comfortable with it, but until you actually see it happen, yeah. you don't know. And we've all had that urge to sell out against, you know, what we should know about markets. Um, and to your point about cash points, 
and not being able to check your balance back in the day. I mean, nowadays, you can check your investments all the yeah. time on your mobile phone. In fact, you might get a little ping saying, yeah. this has gone up, this has gone down, depending on what platform you're with and how you've set up your notifications. And I think fiddling around with your investments is going to make money for one person and one person alone. And that's the, the investment or the trading yeah. platform that you've yeah. got your money with. Over-trading is a, is a big mistake, changing your mind um, all the time, selling out of one strategy and into another. The jitterbug is how I describe yeah. this in the book, the, the personality who can't decide on um, what's going to be the best outcome for, for them. And, and it is difficult taking a long-term mindset when we live in a really, really short-term world and a lot of the tech is really helping us to... A lot of the tech is really not helping us to fight that impulse. Because it's reminding you all the time what's happening. Mm. You think very short term. It's nudges to actions when sometimes the best thing to do is nothing at all, right? It's, yeah. Um, I mean, it's great in other ways. Yeah. Fantastic to be able to set up, to automate, yeah. to be able to move money between accounts um, at the snap of your fingers, to have that visibility, to be able to project mm -hmm. your savings goals, your investment goals. There are so many things that you can do online and finance apps that you couldn't even really do five years ago, um, yeah. especially with open banking, running open banking programs over your accounts and saying, where am I going wrong with my spending? I mean, in a world that demands instant results, that's actually pretty good. Yeah. And talking about the long term and keeping the long term in mind, one of the framings you use um, for this in the book is the concept of getting rich slow. Mm. Not, not, not quick, but slow. And I love that framing because it, well, it reminds people not to have unrealistic expectations when it comes to investments. You're not going to double your money overnight, far from it. Um, but it's, it is get rich slow, which means you should or you can. It's possible to get rich, it, albeit, you know, certainly richer than you, you are or more financially secure than you are. Um, setting those kind of expectations is really important, isn't it, when it comes to investing? Because there's lots of things to lure you away from that and uh, mislead you, perhaps. Yeah, and certainly the allure of things like crypto, of trading shares in tesla say that's a classic stock that yeah. tends to go up and go down an awful lot things like contracts for difference even though the website says 78 percent of these trades people lose money it doesn't stop yeah. people from making them because they are convinced that they're going to be um part of the small minority who actually win against the house and it is a very particular thing i think to the times that we're in as well that young people especially, if they think, well, this is the only way that I'm going to be able to get a housing yeah. deposit together to, to gamble, basically, it's very, very hard to fight against and say, you know, just keep paying into your company pension, keep plodding away with £100 into your index fund mm -hmm. um, every month. And yeah, you're not going to get results overnight. But the thing I would say to encourage people is that when you're young, it can be tempting to think, what's the point? I may as well not bother yeah. um, with investing. I may as well not bother with the money in the company pension. I might as well just get it into my pay packet because it's only going to make me better off by, you know, it's a, I'll, I'll be better off by 25 quid a month, yeah. something quite negligible. But what I would say is because that money is going to be invested for such a long time, if you're in your 20s, it could be invested in stocks for, you know, 30 or 40 years. 
go onto a compound interest calculator and just work out the power of, of compounding over time. Mm-hmm. That will blow your mind. But then you're not going to be earning the salary that you're earning now for the rest of your life. If you're in your 20s, you would hope that you would be able to plug away at your career and move up, maybe develop a separate income stream, who knows. And if you can increase the amount that you're putting in to your investments, get a bigger slice of the pie going in there and grow the pie by Mm -hmm. growing your income and then have that money compounding, then all of a sudden the picture looks a bit brighter, but it does take a long time of being consistent for these changes to, to, to add up. Yeah, and consistency is absolutely key, isn't it? Because, you know, we know we've, we've worked in investment long enough that those historic returns, the sort of six, seven, eight percent sometimes that the market has produced for people, you can have a bank on that, of course, but that is enough. That is totally enough. Uh, if you captured a return like that and all the other things that you say, you know, escalating your income and your contributions to investments, that's how you can achieve really the level of financial security that people are craving with get rich quick schemes it can be done there's risk and there's you know some sacrifice needed along the way but you can get there just by you know keeping to these principles that Mm. that that you should you should be able to enact for yourself really there's no secret to it there is no secret but it still doesn't make it any the less galling when you have people in your life, in your friendship group, who do get rich quick because their yeah. parents just gift them a housing deposit. And I think that's the biggest divide that we're seeing among young people today, those whose parents yeah. can afford to help and those whose, whose parents can't. I mean, I say that as a, as a step-parent. It's very, very difficult. We haven't been able to help our children as much as we would have liked to. Um, you know, I'm not saying that we won't help them more in the future, but that... in London and the South East especially, you could be a, as brilliant with money and investing yeah. as you like. But if you haven't got that leg up, then it's going to be really hard for you. And people who are renting right now, I often turn conversations about the woes of the mortgage market into ones about the woes of the rental market instead, because I think there are an awful lot more people who are going to be more affected. And it's a much bigger problem building up for society, especially if you consider how many people might be renting in the private sector when they're in their old age, when they're claiming a pension. None of all of the popular forecasting models factor that in right now. They all think that we would have bought a home and we would have paid off the mortgage. And that is, well, a podcast for another day, but that's what keeps me awake at night as a finance expert. And and as an example of that, I had a recent conversation with someone um, in their mid to late 20s, very good job. Um, but they and their partner were giving up their rental place in London, moving back in with parents to save. And really, they're the lucky ones because they have parents that are able to take them mm. in close enough to London that they can continue to work, say. Um, those kind of situations are going to become all the more common, aren't they? Because of these uh, much, much more difficult circumstances yeah. that young people face setting themselves up financially well it's an intergenerational transfer in a different way yeah. isn't it your mum and dad have and you get on with them and your partner yeah. gets on with them and you can move in i mean the next kind of logical step to that is childcare, grandparents providing yeah. childcare. i mean i say this as a step grandparent now ed <laughs> i know i don't look a day over 40 um but this is 
another big issue in my writing at the FT because it's what's happening in in my own life. And, yeah. you know, the amazing campaign that Pregnant Then Screwed um, orchestrated, which I think was directly responsible for um, Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt changing um, the direction with childcare policy. Yeah. Hopefully in 2024, we'll start to see some results um, from their shakeup to how many free hours you can get. I say free. It's not really free. Yeah. Um, read my articles for more information on that. But it's a start. It's, a start. it's something to build on. Yeah. Um, look, before we go down any more rabbit holes, and before you go today, Claire, I did want to ask you about um, something you're involved in, something else you're involved in, which is um, financial education courses that are available um, through the FT, is my understanding. Yeah. Tell us about the courses. And in particular, tell us how you're going to reach the people who really need to use a course like this? Because it sort of occurs to me that the people who most need it may be the last people to actually seek out that kind of help. So how are you communicating to those people? Okay, well, I try and be people's friend when it comes to money. I always say to people, imagine we're in a pub, because I like pubs, <laughs> and we've got a drink in front of us, and you're saying, oh, Lord, I need to sort this out. What should I do, Claire? And I say, right, number one, number two, number three. Very, very simple, no jargon, off you go, look into that, make up your own mind and decide. And basically my course, which is called Sort Your Financial Life Out, does what it says on the tin, is that but in email form. Because okay. I figure that we're never too busy to read our emails. Am I right? You probably even read them sitting on the loo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most people I know have got a terrible habit with looking at the work email. So if you're getting an email in your inbox from the FT, from me, every week. They'll come out on Wednesday from the 3rd of January if you sign up at ft.com slash money course. Um, each week I'm going to be tackling a different area of finance um, from being tax efficient to the best ways of budgeting to managing money with a partner to the basics of how to invest, like the absolute minimal, what you need to know to get you on a plan. The absolute minimal what you need to know to get you investing your money into the market after six weeks this would have built up into a pretty comprehensive financial plan that you can work on in your own time either on your own or with a partner or even with a friend who is in a similar kind of money milestone moment to mm -hmm. you are so you can check in on each other's progress and just find a way to get started because it's so overwhelming. There's so many things yeah. that you need to be aware of, that you need to look at, how things interact with, with one another. So after six weeks, I would really hope that it would give you a much better idea of where your finances are and where you need to be. And there's quizzes in there, there's test yourself, there's lots of interactive stuff, there's links to videos that I've made. I love teaching people by video because yeah. I think a lot of people, I know I wrote a book, I was asked very nicely, <laughs> but a lot of people are not going to read a book, sure. especially sure. a book about money. But whereas if it's a 90 second video saying something, it might get through. And um, as you say, it's not just reading material, is it? It's, it's more interactive than that and people will be able to learn something a bit more specific to them right if, if, if that's right this. now if you're an ft subscriber you get this for free if you're not an ft subscriber you can get it for the knockdown price of 19 quid so less than 20 pounds and you get access to every single article i've ever written um on the ft the podcasts are free anyway but 
anything else that you want to read, the resources that I've linked to, there's lots of other really, really cool investment writers at the FT, like Katie Martin, like Rob Armstrong. I have them all on Money Clinic Podcast, so you'll know their voices if you listen to my show. But for those six weeks, you'll also be able to read their articles and dip in, dip out, do as much as you want or need to, or as little. But hopefully it will be money in a language you can understand is the aim fab fab well that seems like a good place to leave it claire that is all the time we have for now thanks for joining me well thank you very much for having me in it's been a pleasure please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up so you may get back less than you invest investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon this information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment if you are unsure about the suitability of an investment you should speak to one of fidelity's advisors or an authorized financial advisor of your choice overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.